Hey everyone, thanks for listening to The Mason Jar. This is David Kern, and coming up, Cindy's going to be interviewing uh, her friend Jeanette Toulouse about nature study, and in particular, nature study in the spring. It's a really fascinating interview. I can't promise you won't immediately be outside after you listen to it, uh, so be prepared. Get your hiking boots ready. Get your nature notebooks ready. Um, I have a feeling you'll probably be inspired to climb a mountain or uh, start looking at flowers or plant a tree or something uh, once you're done with that with that interview. Uh, before I kick it over to uh, Cindy and Jeanette, though, I need to say a quick word from some friends who are making this show possible. This summer, from July 9th through the 14th, our friends at Duke University's Arite Initiative are going to be hosting the high school summer seminar in ethics, philosophy, and religion on Duke's campus in Durham, North Carolina. The seminar will prepare high school students with a roadmap for approaching those same subjects in college. They're going to be using texts from Lit, Philosophy, and Theology, and the seminar will examine such topics as the meaning of virtue, the substance of human nature, the question of human flourishing, the metaphysics of reality, and the nature of truth. Students will also discuss ideas of natural law, the relationship between philosophy and theology, and the relationship between science and religion. The seminar is co-taught by several Duke University instructors and professors and is open to current high school students entering their junior or senior years. There's no fee at all associated with applying or attending, and students admitted will also be housed in Duke dormitories and provided with meal cards. So there's no cost to apply, no cost to attend. You get food and you get a place to stay. Students interested in applying should email John Rose at johnrose at duke.edu for further details. And that's J-O-H-N dot R-O-S-E at duke.edu. Applications will be considered on a rolling basis until April 26th, 2018. This podcast is also brought to you by Ohio Christian University. OCU is a values-driven institution that prepares students to become servant leaders engaging their world. OCU's main campus is located in Circleville, Ohio, just 30 miles south of Columbus. At OCU, you or your students will experience personal relationship with all of their professors through small class sizes. With a 10 to 1 student to faculty ratio, the professors will always know your student's name. OCU is committed to teaching a Christian classical worldview that is taught through all of their 30-plus degrees and majors. From programs ranging from business to ministry to teacher education, there is something at OCU for everyone. OCU is a private school education at a public school cost. Earning a four-year bachelor's degree at OCU will cost you less than half the total price of average completion at fees. Education should be affordable, and OCU makes that possible. Schedule a campus visit or apply online today at www.ohiochristian.edu or call 1-877-7-OCU-NOW. That's ohiochristian.edu or call 1-877-7-OCU-N-O-W. And with that, let's get over to Cindy Rollins and Jeanette Toulis. Enjoy, and thanks for listening to The Mason Jar. Mason Jar. We are here today with my good friend Jeanette Toulis. Uh, many of you know Jeanette from um, Ambleside Online and other Charlotte Mason uh, things uh, on, on the internet and I think she goes to CMI each year and does different workshops at CMI. Um, really the reason I wanted to have Jeanette on here was um, it was kind of fun. We were on our way to the Kindred Conference and Jeanette and my, our friend Joy and I were all in the car, and we were all driving together. And Joy, who didn't want to be in the car all day, asked us if we would mind stopping and taking a nature walk halfway to Charlotte, which really took me by surprise because of all the traveling I have done, I never have once thought, let's stop halfway and take a nature walk. So Joy found a walk along the way, but as we were traveling, the walk, um, it, it, it was going to be increasingly out of our way because of some detours. So we pulled up the All Trails app, and 10 minutes later, we were at this little hike, and, you know, we went through the usual routine of looking for the right places, and did it, did it mean this tree or that tree? <laughs> but we finally found our little path, and we ended up at a beautiful waterfall. And um, it was just a lovely day. It was snowing, but one of the th- it, it was there was snow on the ground. It wasn't snowing, and um, but one of the things that Joy and I both noticed was while we would walk along the path and we 
you would you couldn't see anything you, you there weren't any wildflowers and suddenly Jeanette would call out oh you guys missed this flower <laughs> and we'd all rush back and there would be the beautiful spring wildflower that was peeking out from the snow uh, and as we were going and this happened over and over again I said Jeanette you've got to come on the mason jar and talk about nature uh, with with us. So here she is. Here's Jeanette. So Jeanette, welcome to the Mason Jar. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Well, I mean, I, I, I was also surprised when Joy suggested that nature walk. Like you said, it's not something you just automatically think of doing on the way. It's like you stop at a Wendy's or a Chick-fil-A or, you know, to get something to eat. But Joy said, no, we should pack our lunches and take a nature walk. And after we did it, I thought, I'm never going to travel the same way again. I'm going to be planning nature walks. It was so refreshing. Yeah, and it was easy, too. I mean, when we when we pulled up that little trail and we were there a few minutes later. Now, of course, we were in, uh, you know, North Carolina in a beautiful area of out in the middle of nowhere, basically from Chattanooga to, uh, you go through Knoxville and I think that's it. Yeah, Charlotte, it's just mostly wilderness, but. <laughs> that's true. We were in Pisgah National Forest, so it wasn't just a stop on the road. We were actually at a place with trails and, and um, but that trail app was amazing. Yeah, it really was. So we, so we used the trail app. That was one thing we did, but, but it, but it, it was amazing to me. And I know that, you know, flowers. I mean, and I've, I've taken lots of hikes with you and you're always, um, you're, you're an expert at that, but, but you're also good at talking to the rest of us about, you know, how to go about that. First of all, how did you get to be an expert? At this? Well, I didn't, I definitely didn't start out an expert. Um, and I was pretty, I have to say it was it was pretty daunting of me when I read Charlotte Mason's own words about, you know, what the mother's role was, because I didn't feel I did not feel I was ready for that role at all. I knew nothing about the names in nature. But the best way to get started is just to find someone who does know. And thankfully, there are people who know the names in nature. They're your naturalists. Um, Large, most of them are largely self-taught. Some of them may be university taught, but really the best way is to find someone who knows uh, the names in nature. And uh, you can do that at a nature, at your local nature center. Um, just ask around at your nature center, who knows the names of what we're going to see on this trail? And is there any way we could schedule a walk with that person? Um, at our nature center here in Chattanooga, there's always a spring plant sale at our nature center and that includes wildflower walks and so that's how I got started. I just went on wildflower walks with naturalists and took copious notes <laughs> and my notes are and when I came home from those walks I would look everything up to just to remind myself oh yeah that's what that looked like and thankfully you know Charlotte didn't have the internet and I really think she would be very pleased that we use the internet as a tool, not, you know, we don't take our nature walks on the internet, right? But we use, <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah. I'm sure you could, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are virtual nature walks. That would not be my recommendation, but to come home after you've done it and look things up, you know, do a search for that particular name and find out, um, you know, what it looks like. And is that what you saw? And it will cement it in your mind. And then you can even, I've done this before too, or, and I've had friends to do this for me, is when I find enough images of things that I saw, I make a little, you know, album of that, that I can actually, you know, show to my children and remind them, this is what this looked like. This is what this looks like. And again, not to substitute for the actual walk, but just a follow-up and maybe even a prelude before you go on a walk. I guess with all, like I do those little chat books for my family because I had so many pictures and they were just going by the wayside and we'd have an event. And now I just take all the, whether they're good or bad or indifferent, I just send them all off and they come back to me in this little tiny, you know, square book. But 
you could really do that with your nature hike. You could absolutely, you would have a book of things that you've actually seen, you know, with your children. And that would, you know, spark an interest the following year when that time rolls around again, you know, this is the time of year for what is known as the spring ephemerals. Ephemeral is a word that means just here for a few days. So this is the time when you want to get out and see those flowers that are only going to be available to look at in full bloom for a few days. And the wonderful thing about the way the Lord arranged this, and I really do see this as his providence, is there are beauties every single day. I mean, you may go out one day and see maybe 20 different wildflowers if you're on like a so-called wildflower trail or, or you know, area that's abundant in wildflowers. And they really are everywhere. I mean, in no matter where you live, I think you can find an area. I mean, I, I take that back. If you're at the North Pole, maybe not. And if you're <laughs> at the equator, I'm not sure what you'd see there either. But, you know, in the temperate zones where most of us live, I really think you can find a place for the spring ephemerals and, and find someone who knows their names. But the what I was going to say is the beauty is you'll go out one week and see maybe 20 things. And then you'll go out the next week and see, you know, four or five things that you didn't see then because they're just now coming up and they come up really quickly. You might, if you knew the leaves of what you were looking for, you might be able to tell what is about to come up, but usually you won't know what it is until it blooms. And again, they're ephemeral, so they only bloom for a few days. So every day has its beauties. Every day has its little treasures that you can find. Wow, it's when you really if we started talking philosophy that is quite deep. <laughs> we could we could get lost in that thought that these ephemerals um come up, quickly bloom in places where people may never see them and then they're gone. So know, and there are all kinds of wonderful spiritual analogies you could make of that, right? I mean, just as spring being such a season of hope, you know, as you see these little things shoot up and then and then have this ephemeral beauty and then they're gone and we we enjoy them while they're there right and then we look for the next thing which god provides for us right and each season has its own yes uh, absolutely now did thing do things bloom like we're coming out of the winter so it's a little late but do things bloom in the winter are there little- yes there's there's like a calendar uh, really which you can follow of what blooms like when we when we were in that little snow walk you know i saw hepatica um and you, hepatica has very, very distinctive leaves. It's called hepatica because the leaves look like the lobes of a liver. And that, of course, is you know like hepatitis. And um, um, I'm trying to think of the other liver words I know. I used to be a dietitian in a former life, and I don't remember any more <laughs> liver words. But anyway, the, the leaves of that really do look. They're dark and they're veined, and they look like the lobes of your liver, which has like, I don't think three or four lobes, if I'm not mistaken, but the hepatica has three leaves and you can, you can, you can, you can spot them. They're just very distinctive. And then when it flowers, the flower only lasts just for a few days, but it is gorgeous. So yeah, hepatica is one that comes out really early. A few other things that come out really early are bluets and I'm trying to, oh, those are so pretty. Um, yes, they're just, they're called Quaker ladies by, um, is another common name for them. Um, and I'm trying to think what else comes out early. Um, what else did we see? Oh, toothwort comes out really early. Um, oh, that's the one we saw, right? Yes, okay. we saw that also in the snow. Um, there are a few, Harbinger of Spring. Um, of course, that's its name, right? It comes out. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are others, but I'm, I'm kind of blanking out. But if you get to know the wildflowers and get to know their names, you'll see what comes out early and you'll know what comes out later. Oh, Dutchman's Breaches comes out super early too. It's probably already gone in our area, sad to say. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So those are a few. So you get out early and you, and you, and, and during the spring, it wouldn't hurt to take you know, a walk every few days to see some of these different things. Yeah, absolutely. And what I really love is you don't have to be in an area that's abundant for, you know, all these really well-loved and well-known wildflowers. I mean, you can literally go out in your yard at this time of year. I mean, even the grasses are flowering, right? And some people consider those weeds, but I, my favorite quote is from Eeyore and he says, you know, a weed 
a weed is just a wildflower once you get to, I mean, sorry. Uh, yeah. A weed is just a, a flower once you get to know it. And that's really <laughs> true. That's really true. You, you can't, when you know it, it's a flower. Yes. You know, the horticulturalists may think oh, those weeds, we really need to get rid of those. But this time of year, they're all blooming. And some of them have the most gorgeous flowers when you get a loop and look at it close up. I mean, it's just like a miniature orchid or a miniature pansy. I mean, these miniature flowers are just amazing. I've got um, a tutorial that I teach. I've got first and second graders just with their noses to the ground, just looking at these things. And they're just getting so much pleasure out of learning their names and, and finding them. Yeah. And there is something about that. Once you know the name of something, you feel like you know it and, 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 and it, it becomes something you care about. Exactly. Bring, That's the science of relations, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and Charlotte, you know, says it's not how much we know, but how much we care. And, and naming things is one of the ways that we learn to care for things. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I mean, the first time I went on Wildflower Walk with my favorite naturalist, Mr. Green, I mean, it was literally like he was walking along the path, greeting his old friends. I had such a sense of that these were his friends that he was greeting and he knew them all by name. And I, that just made the biggest impression on me. Mm. Now you mentioned a loop. Um, yes. What, what is that? Well, it's, it's really, it's jewelers use it. So it's often called a jeweler's loop, but it's just a hand lens. It's a little stronger than, you know, what you might buy with, that's big and round with a handle that you think of as a magnifying glass, right? But I I can't remember who told me. I think it was a friend of mine when I was just starting homeschooling. She said, oh, you have to get loops for your children. And I, you know, I bought mine yesterday and you need to go get yours too. And this was a girl you didn't argue with. When she said you have to do something, you just did it. <laughs> and um, so I ended up buying loops for all my children. It's just a jeweler's loop. My favorite is about a 24 or 26 millimeter in diameter um, lens with a power of at least 16, but up to 30. You get higher than 30 and there's a lot of distortion. So my favorite is like a 30 magnifying um, power and about a 24, 26 inch millimeter um, field of vision. And so it's just a lens. It's got two lenses actually on top of each other and it slips into a metal casing. And it usually has some kind of, um, I always put like a, a leather um, um, a leather thong. I buy it Hobby Lobby or whatever because I like the way that feels. <laughs> so, but yeah. I've also had I've, I had all the children in my tutorial finger knit a um, a chain for it just so it was something they could make and use. So it could hang on their neck as yes, they're exactly. So it hangs on their neck so it's available. So you and could even we've used um, like shoestrings. Shoe strings are good too. Yeah, yeah I just, just like leather because it looks more. You the know, be, more, the more beautiful, the better. The, the well, nicer. actually, <laughs> and guys like it just because it looks. You know, it looks tough, and, manly, right? Yes, exactly. But the finger knitting is also a great idea. You never if you once you teach a child to finger knit. You're always looking for how can I use this finger knitting? It's just so plentiful in our household. Okay, there's all, all kinds of uses for yes. So you can definitely finger knit a chain for your loop too, and that makes it nice because they actually made it. Then they've made it. That yes. is so nice. What a yes. wonderful way to put those two things together <laughs> and make it like it matters. The things you're making. Are, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's um, that's always the thing with the the handcrafts. The more useful they are, the I feel like the more um, the kids enjoy actually making them. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so here we have, so. Oh, and those loops are available on Amazon. Oh, okay. I, you can, don't, I don't like the ones with the light. Number one, it's an artificial light. And I really like looking at things in natural light. That said, sometimes to see really great detail, you know, you might want to have a well-lit space, but the light that, Number one, it doesn't last very long, and to replace the battery is super expensive, like more sure. expensive than the loop. And right. number two, children tend to shine those like in each other's faces, which yes. can just fully blind you. So um, you can I, derail your hike with the light. <laughs> I think so. So I'm always, I always tend to purchase the ones without a light. Right. Now, what? Um, 
do you think that as far as like choosing a place to take a hike, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of places, but is it better to be near water? Is that like on a well, street? Well, water, you will see a different variety of wildflowers. There's no doubt about that. You're going to see, I mean, some wildflowers prefer that moist, you know, stream bank kind of environment or creek bank environment. And you will probably see a different variety near water. But some of my favorite hikes, well, I will say, yeah, some of my favorite hikes actually are alongside streams, come to think of it. But I've also been on plenty of hikes where there really wasn't water that nearby and you can still see a great variety. You'll just see different, right? Different wildflowers. Different things. So you yes. should probably mix it up a little bit. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I guess when we go high up on the mountain, we're, we're not really that close to water. But when we're down below, there's a lot more. Uh, we, yeah, we have I've, a lot of variety I've, around here. Right. I've heard that a north-facing cove is the most likely places to find um, wildflowers. And some of the more famous wildflower areas in our area are north-facing. I think it's north-facing coves. I could be wrong. But. Oh, that's super interesting. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no end. I feel panic sometimes, like when I look on the books on my shelf that I haven't read, and when I think of all the hikes that in our area that we have to do and we haven't done. Um, and somebody made such a great um, point at the um, Kindred, I guess it was Christine Perrin, when she said, um, wouldn't it be great if when we went to some of these meetings that we took hikes? I think, did she say that or anyway? I think we said, I think we said that, Cindy. <laughs> oh, well, I think I got it from what she said. She said something that made me think of that. Like, wouldn't it be great if if we, when we're together, like we did that together and, it did, yeah. and that was a new place for us. Right. So going to new places is is really fun and um, being able to just get out and, and hike in a new place is fun. So I'm thinking of all the young moms here with little tiny children and they want, they want to add nature study. They want to be, they want to be true to Charlotte Mason's vision. I mean, in a way, I mean, it's, I know for me, it's taken so many years to like add this in. Finally, okay, I got that. I got to add this in. I, right. I got that. I'm going to add this in. But right. really, um, the, these nature hikes and our nature notebooks and, and all the things surrounding that are, are one of the first things that we should do, I, I believe, um, just for our own mental sanity. Right. But, and I wouldn't despair if you feel like you've failed in years past and your children are now in fifth and sixth grade and you've never done nature study because I, I I'm doing, I'm teaching some fifth and sixth graders now in a tutorial and I don't think they had a huge nature background. I mean, some of them might have, but what they have been able to do this year is just astounding to me. I mean, they have started nature notebooks that are just so beautiful. And so I'm, I used to say not everybody can do this. And now I'm saying, I think everybody can do this. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, you've got to have the right, you know, you have to have right supplies. Cause if you ask a child to keep a nature notebook and you give them really terrible, you know, supplies for creating art, you know, like washable watercolors. That to me is just anathema if you're going to do it. Or even like Crayola colored pencils, which I don't even yeah, know how to make those. No. I mean, are you allowed to say that? If not, then they'll have to edit that out. But it, it, it's like you don't even, you put your pencil down and nothing comes out. It, right. You, you want to have good supplies because that's going to encourage the child, right? I mean, when they're putting forth their best effort, you need to su support them with with adequate supplies that, that, that at least will give them a chance at, at producing something that, you know, that they'll, that they'll be proud of and want to keep. But um, yeah, so there is that. I mean, it's not like you can just throw this together with anything, but it's not that expensive. It truly isn't. I mean, I started with just, you know, like a praying eight pan. And when I've taken classes from perimeter schools, which is a Charlotte Mason school in Atlanta. That's what they used to. It's just a praying eight pan, super cheap, like three bucks, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, they always take, just to get to some of the finer points, they always take the green out and do not let their students use the green because it's not a natural green and they really want them to mix greens because when you mix yellow and blue to make green, you can get so many different shades of green and they're all really wonderfully natural shades of green rather than the one that's supplied in the, in the, in the uh, paint box. And that's the only one they actually take out, but yes, that's the only one they take out because they don't want you relying on this 
the basic green they want you to well it's not a green found in nature if you look at it you're just like okay okay wow that's crazy (laughs) yeah there are other sets i like too that i think have more natural colors i'm i'm really fond of yarka um that's put out but miller pads and paper sells that very inexpensive but the the tones are really really nice for a beginner set as well now, one of the things you did recently, and this is something new you did, but I saw it. I don't usually like to get the spiral brand bound nature mm-hmm. notebooks because I like the the hardcover. But when I saw what you did in your classroom with the spiral bound, I thought how perfect you took the spiral bound nature notebooks and you put them on a, a binder clip. Yes, I just hung up now. I just, I was just thinking ways to display my students' work because it really was incredibly beautiful. And I thought this can just be decoration for our room, right? And they can look at it every day and just be encouraged at what they had done because it really, and everybody who comes in the room are just drawn to it. So I just nailed some nails, I asked permission first, but I nailed some nails in the wall. <laughs> and, um, and then I just took some um, lot, very large binder clips. I think the largest I could find because our notebooks are pretty thick and you don't want to damage them by pinching them too hard. And so I just opened them to the page where, you know, their latest work was clip the clip to it and uh, hung the clip on a nail. And it really is just a lovely display of their work. Very simple. Yes, it was beautiful. And because it, 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 usually it's not that easy to show off what you've done in your nature notebook without opening it. And if it doesn't. Right. I was thinking about, you know, nailing a ledge to the wall, but my skills are not in in carpentry and I, that just was a little daunting for me so yeah I, I remember I was in on the conversation when you were trying to decide what to do and when I saw the picture I thought wow that was amazing yeah it <laughs> was super easy yeah super easy and you know that the students can do it themselves right they clip unclip whatever when they need their notebook so and they're very happy to you know to to, dis, to display the latest things so we just did um red buds in full bloom and Oh my goodness. It's just really beautiful to look at. It makes me happy. Every time I walk inside the room, I see this. So <laughs> those why notes. are the red buds, which are purple, called red buds? <laughs> yes. Well, um, they are purple. I think it's because when they first start coming out, they're kind of pinkish the, red. The, the buds are reddish. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I do think that's true. I, I can, by the time you see them, you don't... But, you but when they're in full bloom, they're definitely that purple and let me and tell you that purple like is a hard there's color another, there's a couple more flowers like that that they're called one color and they are well the purple finch is a reddish bird right too, so right there's a there's an example yes um so and, and and they're also that is true when you're out in nature it's not just the wildflowers and the foliage there's birds and there's little animals and all kinds of uh yeah we're doing an instant study now in both of the classes that I teach. I teach first and second graders and I teach fifth and sixth graders. And let me tell you, that has been so much fun. And I'll tell you a little funny thing. When I was at Kindred, um, Leslie Lario was there, who I've known for a really long time. She's one of the founders of Ambleside Online. And I don't think anybody knew she was there because I think she might have been mobbed if I'd announced, hey, Leslie Lario is sitting right here. <laughs> but she told me not to do that, so I didn't. And so um, I just kind of had her all to myself, which was really lovely because we, we just talked about the thing that we're both fascinated with right now, and it's insects. And so Leslie has been just fascinated with the lacewing. She has learned oh, yes. <laughs> about the lacewing. And she just told me all about, you know, things she'd learned about the larva stage and the egg laying stage. It was just incredible. Well, I was doing an insect study with my students as well. And we just take one insect a week in the first and second grade. And we've done ladybugs and we've done ants and we've done bees. And I, every week, I am just so fascinated by what I'm learning to prepare for these lessons that it's kind of hard to go on to the next thing. But, um, and then I'm also reading with my son, who's 15, um, Fabre's book of insects, which is this gorgeous oversized book of his insect studies with um, illustrations by a man named Detmold. And my daughter who paints loves to paint bugs. And I showed her these paintings and she just went crazy. They were they really are just amazing and just showing, you know, just the intricacies of God's design and the beauty of it. But anyway, so I was reading about um, 
praying mantises with my son. And then I was looking for insect evidence with my first and second graders. And someone said, Mrs. Toulis, Mrs. Toulis, what is this? Look what I found. And they had found the egg case of a praying mantis. Now it was, it was um, empty, but it was exactly as Fabre had described. And I knew what it was. I was just amazing. So Leslie and I were just laughing because here we are, these, you know, Charlotte Mason moms who are pretty much done with educating our own children. And what are we doing? We're both just fascinated by insects. And we just shared our favorite resources on insects. And we just went, I mean, we just couldn't stop talking about how crazy we were about insects. So I just thought that was kind of funny. But um, I do think that the mom can educate herself. And I think that's a very important point of nature study and one that Charlotte also brings out often. And just that the mother, now you don't need to be an expert before you start introducing your children to nature study, but you do need to be doing some reading on your own and you do need to learn the names of things as much as you can alongside your children. And now that it is a little bit easier, we have, we do have the internet. I know in Tennessee, we have a little local page um, where we can, Tennessee naturalists on Facebook, and I'm sure most areas probably have um, some kind of Facebook page uh, for people to ask questions. And then today it was the weirdest thing I got online to, um, to set up this Mm -hmm. and I had a notification. Well, actually it came through open source that um, iNaturalist has just put up a new app called Seek, and it is an app where you can um, send in pictures and um, at, at, when you're hiking and things like that, and um, and it will help you identify things also because it can be really frustrating when you when you I know I've been frustrated before. Um, it is fun to do those ordinary bugs that we see every day because suddenly they're not so ordinary anymore. You know, the, maybe I should do the stink bug because our house is free of bugs. <laughs> we have no bugs in our house, but we have stink bugs. Uh, and maybe if I got to know the stink bug. Uh, <laughs> I no, I think my loathing for them just would increase the more. Yes, yes. They're just to be quite honest. I thought they're evil. Yes. yes, they leer at you from the yes, corner. Yes, they're, so, <laughs> they're so strange looking. And then we've uh, had another bug that I've seen like out on our porch. And when I look it up, it always comes out deadly, deadliest bug there is. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm wrong about my identification. But So it can be a little frustrating when you're, when you're looking, you know, it's great to start at a simple place like a dandelion or something you're really sure of yes, and then move absolutely. Out out towards those outer borders. Well, and again, I think that's why it's important to develop those relationships with people who know more than you do, because I actually have naturalists, I call my naturalists on call, that I, you know, send pictures to when I'm out and don't know the name of something. And they're really, really kind and um, very, um, uh, you know, they just have a lot of patience with people like me who, and they'll, 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 they know the names of things, right? You send in a picture and they'll say, oh yeah, that's that, that's that, that's that. Even from the leaf without the flower, which is amazing to me. So it's really great to have those relationships with naturalists and just ask them, is it okay if when I'm out, can I text you a picture of what I'm seeing? And would it be okay if, you know, if you recognize it, just, just ask if you could do that. But I, like I said, I have two friends that I do that with and it's very, very helpful. Even if you do it after the fact, after the walk and you've got pictures of things you don't know and you send it to someone who does know, there you are, you're, you're learning, right? And then you can pass that on to your children. Now, a couple of years ago, I remember you, somebody told you where there was this rare flower. Yes. And you, you just like took off into the wilderness yes. to find this flower. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, turn right at the third tree. Oh, it's crazy. It's like, do you see some fallen trees on your left? You know, there should be a path there. And I mean, I remember thinking, I will never find this flower. It was a pink lady slipper. And I was, Oh wow. we were just both the student that I was teaching at the time was just enamored. I had a, a poster up on the wall of wildflowers. Um, and the one that just, he asked me every time, can we see this one? Can we go, where can we go see this one? And it was the pink lady slipper. And so funny thing, I was at church and I heard some men talking about where to find a pink lady slipper. Oh my goodness. Actually a naturalist friend of mine who I didn't even know went to that church. We were visiting churches at the time. And I thought that can't, that 
that sounds like my friend, but that can't be him. And sure enough, there he was in the church. So, um, and he was telling another friend and he wasn't going to tell many people because it was kind of, you know, it wasn't a path that people went to and he didn't want a bunch of people there. He kind of felt protective about this little area. So yeah, sure enough, it was probably an hour drive and I just decided we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And so we did, and we found a whole patch of them all in bloom it was oh magical it was wow. magical. Wow. absolutely magical that's that's just amazing um, yeah. <laughs> i don't know if i could ever find it again but it was really right right beautiful. isn't that those moments in life so so if you're out there with your ears and eyes open oh i tried to really i worked really hard to make sure that max would not disturb us and then i forgot to shut the door excuse me i will be right back I will. Oh, that's Alex. He's home. So Max has got to let Alex know that he is <laughs> the man. <laughs> and um, sorry. That's okay. I think we can get that taken out. Um, but anyway, so so um, so with your children at home, um, when you had your children at home, how often did you do Nature Notebook? Well, I my first child was a daughter who really loved art. So that was... That was really a, a little blessing that maybe not everybody had, but my daughter loved to paint flowers, draw flowers. She would do it from field guide. She would do it from, you know, from on site. She just really loved to, um, to keep a nature notebook. So that was a, that was an easy start for me to, to get her started in that. And then she just did it on her own, but maybe once a week and sometimes once every two weeks. And then in the winter months, you know, much less, right? Much less. Right, but in the right. spring, more often. Mm -hmm. So, and in the fall too. There's some really there's some wildflowers that only bloom in the fall. So that is also a really nice time to to paint things, and draw things. Um, and then I had three boys, right, who were a little different, who had different inclinations. But they did also keep nature notebooks, just not as well as she did. And they probably didn't enjoy it quite as much. But they did keep nature notebooks, um, just like I said, uh, on a different level. And, and that was fine. The object is really not to produce this beautiful rendering of what you're seeing. It's to observe mm -hmm. and to, if you can get a child looking at something close up with a loop and then drawing what they see, you've accomplished what you've want to accomplish. Again, they're building that relationship. They're learning the name of it. I always have them write the Latin name and the um, common name. And the reason I do that is because the Latin name often gives you clues to that flower. And you'll like, for example, the common name of foam flower is a beautiful little white flower on a spike. It's a, a, a whole grouping of white flowers on a spike. But the Latin name, and I'll never forget this, is Tiarella cordifolia. And Tiarella is like where you would get tiara, right? And if you look at each one of those flowers up close, it's these tiny little white tiaras. And I will never forget that. And cordifolia means heart-shaped leaves, and it has heart-shaped leaves. So that's how you, you know, Latin name often provides clues for things. And there are some Latin names that are very difficult to pronounce and do not give a clue about the flower at all. But I still <laughs> like the child to write the Latin name, if only to see that it has a Latin name. And um, that's, of course, the name that botanists around the world know that plant as, right? And the common names are really fun too, especially if there's several common names, because there's often folklore attached to that common name. Right. So you might have a flower that different parts of the country have called different things as yes. far as the common name. Yes, that's exactly right. right. Yes. So that's really fun. Now, so did you hike a lot with your children when they were small? Yes, I did. We have the advantage of living next to what I call the 100-acre woods. Um, it's 100 acres of woods, right, that adjoins wow. our property. We have two acres, and then there's 100 acres that adjoins our property. And thankfully, it's never been developed. And I know the gentleman who owns it, and he has given us permission to just do whatever we want on that property. So we did take quite a bit. I mean, it was easy to, right? It was right outside our door. We didn't have to go anywhere, which was really nice. Now, I wouldn't call it a, an abundance of wildflowers. I've really seen very few wildflowers in on our hikes there. In the field, there's some. That's that's been really nice. We've, we've come. There's a field in the middle of that area that's really nice to hike around as well. But um, And there's a pond, which has probably more snakes than it does wildflowers. But um, there is a pond 
there's not really a stream. There's, uh, there might be a stream when it's really, really wet, but that's usually when we don't go out there as often when it's, um, you know, super, like it's just rained a whole bunch and it just gets super muddy. But, um, but it is nice to have that nearby. But even still, there are still my favorite, you know, I, I have places that I can go that are like a 10 minute drive where I know I can see a, an abundance of wildflowers. So there's that too. Right, right. Um, well, what, what are, just as we, um, as, as we, you know, start thinking about closing down here. Um, what are some, what are some tips that, do you have any fun favorite tips that you have to give people? Okay. The, my favorite tip is to really start local. So go to your nature center that's in your area, the closest one and ask the person there who knows about wildflowers. Hopefully there's someone in their area who knows about wildflowers. What are their favorite wildflower resources, tree resources, um, trees are not as much um, area specific, but if you get something like, um, you know, the Audubon Guide to, to, to wildflowers, that's going to be like for the whole country. Even if you get one that's specific to your area of the country, like they have Southeast, I think, at Northwest, I believe, you're still going to have so much in that book that you will never see. And you will see so much that is not in the book. So I always say, mm. start as local as you possibly can. Find the guides that were written in your local area. We have one here in Tennessee called, um, you know, the Tennessee, I think it's Tennessee Wildflowers or something. And there are actually three books called Tennessee Wildflowers that are written by different people. But that's going to be your best bet. You know, the, my favorite place to go to look for wildflowers in this area is a place called The Pocket of Pigeon Mountain. And there's a book just written about the wildflowers you will find in The Pocket of Pigeon Mountain because there's like hundreds in that area that you'll see over the course of um, summer, spring, summer, and fall. So, um, so start local and find the guides that are local to the areas in which you visit. So that's probably my best bet for wildflowers. For trees, uh, there's a, a, a book on that I really love. It's by, uh, the author is Simons, S-Y-M-O-N-D-S. And I think it's called, um, see, I think I have it listed here. Um, I have a, a, um, a resource guide that I put together for um workshops I've done on nature study. So um, yes, there's a book called, um, and I have it, it's, I don't have it here with me, but I think I have it here. Yes. It's called the tree identification book and it's by uh, George Simons. Now the downside of this book is not in color. It's in black and white. But the upside of this book is everything is life-size or as close to life-size as it can be. And it has what's called master pages in the back that goes you know, tree by tree, oak, maple, and it shows the bark, what the tree looks like, the, the, the trunk and the crown. It shows the leaf, the bud, the twig, everything about that tree. And that is so helpful when you're identifying, you know, the, and then it has some really great pages in the front that just, that just uh, orient you to the terms, you know, that have to do with the tree and the leaf and how they're arranged. And so all those things are there. And Anybody can take that book and really be able to identify trees. So that's my tip on trees is that a book like that. Um, tip on wildflowers is go local. And for insects, I don't think that is as um, area specific as wildflowers is either. You could probably just get a general book on insects. But take the ones that are common, like you said, the ant, the bee, you know, the ladybug. Those are things you can find. And there are the most wonderful books. My favorite books for young children are called first books, like first book of bugs, um, I think there's one called First Book of Bees, and those are all available for free online. And it is just a really wonderful introduction, uh, a, a um, you know, the story, a story introduction, right, to those to those animals. And now, are those would those be the Margaret Williamson books? There or? are some by Margaret Williamson. Um, let's see, I have my document right here. Let's see what it has. So there's one called First Book of Bugs, and it is by. Um, man, I'm not sure who that's by. That may be Margaret Williamson, but there's another one called Grasshopper Land. There's one called um, Little Little Wanderers. There's another one called. Um, so there's anyone? the first book of bees, and that's by Albert Tibbetts. Okay, 
Is that sound like what yes. you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That is a really wonderful book. And I love those books because they're nature in story form, right? It's usually the story of some children and they're wandering around and they see a bee and then they go back to some adult who's like an expert and they say, tell me about this. And they talk about it. So it's just this, it's, it's, it's clothing nature study in, in a story form. And I think that's, you know, the best way children learn. Right. Right. So, um, for young children, I think when you can clothe the nature lesson in story form, you've really done done a good job. But there are so many um, books. I mean, if you there, there's a Facebook group that does um, nature. I think it's Charlotte Mason Nature Journaling. Nature. I don't know the one that Lynn Seddon does. She she runs out of England, and I think that's a great help for for moms as well to get up to become a member of that Facebook group because you can ask all kinds of questions. You know, what's the best equipment to get to start a nature notebook? And mm-hmm. uh, these moms are really real. The moms who are on that group really know their stuff and can just answer those. Or you can just do it. You know, instead of answering that asking that question first do a search and see what other people have said because that's a question that comes up often but you know just being part of a group like that is a wonderful resource and sometimes though I find that when I see how beautiful someone's nature notebook I get really discouraged like oh my goodness I should we shouldn't even do this well Lynn Seddon no Lynn Seddon is is just unbelievably talented in how she keeps a nature notebook. yeah they're very beautiful you don't want yeah you don't want to set that up as your, as your, as your goal, because that, I don't think I could ever keep a nature notebook as beautiful as Lynn said, but that's okay. Again, the goal is not to create, I mean, Lynn has great ideas for, you know, what to use and, um, and, and she has some videos on how she does her own nature notebook, which are very inspiring for the mom, but I think maybe, and maybe the older student, I think those videos would be super inspiring for the older student. But Lynn uses a mixture of ink and paint, and she uh, does things that I don't do, but I have tried doing it in her way, and it just gives a different, it's a different look, right? It's a different look to right, a right. notebook, but um, it may be useful for some older children to watch those. But again, the main thing is you just want your child observing and when you're painting something in 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 life you're observing and so that's right you you're seeing you're processing you're taking it and you're and in that process you're learning all about it and getting to know it so so the product um, is in our mind um, and the product that's outward may not be as extensively beautiful as what we have in our mind and exactly maybe that can be a little frustrating for us if we have this um It might be, but I think children, I think it's good for children to know that they have limits. You know, there's this thinking out there that child can do anything they can, you know, they're, they're super child, super children, right? They can do anything. They can be anything. They can do anything. You know what? That's not real life. And I think it's fine for children to realize their limitations and say, you know, I'm really good at this. I'm not so good at this. I can still work at it and get better at it. But you know, it's okay that their nature notebooks are not perfect and it's okay okay that they're learning how to use paint and that's fine and that's how we learn together and I don't think anybody should be discouraged at that and no one you know you it's okay to tell your child you know uh you know next time you know we'll do this maybe a little differently or um you know, I, I just think it's 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 silly to think that everybody's going to be an expert at what they do, and if that's what you're looking for, that will really hamstring you to try anything new. And yeah, different. I always like the Chesterton quote: "Anything worth doing is worth doing badly." <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, my first nature—I mean, I don't, my first nature drawings were very simplistic, very, you know. I mean, but but it gave me the the, the spark, right? And 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 I've since then I've 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 learned different skills and been able to. I think the important thing is I've been able to pass those on to other people. And Even my own efforts have been, um, as someone non-artistic, completely, <laughs> completely non-artistic, I have had some victories over the yes. years. I've had plenty of non-victories. Of <laughs> but every oh. once in a while, my eye and my hand capture the same thing. Yes. Yes, and that's, then exactly that's very fun. It, it feels like, oh, I saw that. Um, 
in an accurate way. Now my brain was, and, and I do, I do think our brain is subtly making adaptations like, oh, when you draw that line, it doesn't really do what you're thinking it's doing. And let me say, that'd be my other tip is to scaffold the nature notebook with drawing lessons so that they learn that hand-eye coordination, just a simple how to draw a book like Bruce McIntyre's. I think that's a great scaffolding. We did that for an entire term at our tutorial. And the last term of the year is when I made them do nature notebooks every week. And I, again, I think because they had that scaffolding, that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Another scaffolding I think is important is brush, brush work, just learning how to lay down a brush with color, learning how to dip the brush in paint, use just the tip to get those details, you know, instead of just smashing the brush into the paint, which is what children tend to do. So I think just the, the techniques of brush drawing, the techniques of color mixing, and the techniques of having a lesson in how to draw things are also really great scaffolds and will ensure that you're giving your child, you know, the best beginnings in nature notebooking. Right, right. Now, as we close up here, is there any other, um, do you have any other? Uh, well, how, about if I, how about if I close with a quote from Charlotte? Okay, that'd be awesome. Oh, and let me tell you this. If you're going to, if you think, I really want to learn about this, I really want to teach myself, the book to, to go to is Home Education. She has an entire section in Home Education called The Out of Doors, Out of Door Life for the Children. It is a huge section of the book. And um, it's pretty much the, I think I've looked at all her, all her books, all six in her series, and that's the one that has the most information about nature study. And she has some really great things to say. She has some things to say that you might have a raised eye about, but as Charlotte, you know, tends to do, but, um, but she has some really great tips. And again, I think it's good to read that and just get a feel for what Charlotte was trying to accomplish in nature study. So, okay, I'm going to end with a quote then. So, um, this is from Home Education, uh, page 61. And it says, it would be well if we, all persons in authority, and by the way, that's you, mom, parents and all who act for parents could make up our minds that there is no sort of knowledge to be got in those early years. And I'm going to say early and late years. So valuable to children as, they, as that which they get for themselves of the world they live in. Let them once get in touch with nature and a habit is formed which will be a source of delight through life. We were all meant to be naturalists, each in his degree. And it is inexcusable to live in a world so full of the marvels of plant and animal life and to care for none of these things. Consider too what an unequaled mental training the child naturalist is getting for any study or calling under the sun. The powers of attention, of discrimination, of patient pursuit growing with his growth, what will they not fit him for? Mm. Amen. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte knew how to say it, didn't she? And yes, I think she that really should really inspire us because yes, you know, we're not raising children to maybe be naturalists as, as a profession, although we might be, who knows? I mean, all the naturalists can talk about their childhood and what they did. I'm reading about Fabre's childhood right now. And, you know, it was just, he was just all into the bugs when he was a five-year-old boy. And, um, but it, it, it creates in them this habit of attention, which is so important, especially in our world of technology today. And it creates in them this love for the creator, right? I mean, who can't benefit from that? So yes, we all need to be doing this. And I would say, do what you can. And I love your advice, Cindy, of just, you know, don't, don't fret about how you're going to do it. Just go out and do it. Just have, take your quilt on the front lawn and do your lessons outside and then just notice what you see right when you're when you're taking a little break get your get your eye to the ground get your loop out and just see what's all around you because right now like I said everything's flowering even the weeds and the grasses oh yeah <laughs> well thank you very much Jeanette this is wonderful I'm sure it's going to be very helpful it's helpful to me and I'm sure it's helpful to other people I'm I can't wait to get back we're having we're in spring break right now but it makes me want to get back with my student and um, regroup and make sure we don't let the let nature notebook go by the side and and, and a few nature hikes too so I'm really really appreciated I as I knew I would <laughs> time. I already knew that uh, but thank you very much for being oh, sure. in jar sure 
Thanks for asking me, Cindy. <laughs>